well, church ain't what she used to be, right? <laughs> you hear that a lot. Um, that's what we're going to be discussing today on Life Talks. The church is changing, and it has changed, but there's also a lot of stresses on the church as well, both internal and external. So we're going to discuss those. And uh, I'm Life Talks producer Britt Nipper sitting in once again with Pastor Dan Burrell. Pastor Ben is out this week. So the church feels a lot of stress, just like anything else. And so let's let's dig into that today on what's going on with the American church. Yeah, Britt, um, I started my ministry 40 years ago this August. So I'm now going into my fifth decade, which for a man who's in his mid-30s is very life, tricky. I started my life just over okay. 40 years you ago. You can so. shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the church has changed so dramatically in, in my of course, growing up in the church, I've got, I literally do have 60 years of of church experience, and it, it has changed. Uh, but everything changes. All, all institutions So would change. you say it's all bad change or good? Because no, I know no. the comment I made to open up, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek, a lot of people say that because it's bad now. It's changed for the worse. Yeah. But I don't—yeah, that's—it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Um, and, and some of it is good. And, and I think, you know, with age, some kind, sometimes comes resistance to change. Um and and so maybe that's kind of our natural inclination. Well, all change is bad, and therefore this church is you know turning bad. I think we have more opportunities than we've ever had. I think we have a greater need than we've ever had. But there are some stresses that are going on in the church, which is kind of why I wanted to hit this topic on Life Talks today, because I I think we need to have realistic expectations and and some information and knowledge about how it has changed and. What can we do to um, mitigate some of those stresses and changes and what we ought to be praying uh, for as as we think of the church? So the church uh, over time goes through, uh, I guess, what you call identity crisis. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is going to bring some stress on the church. So what about the stress of identity within the church? Yeah, I think there is a huge identity crisis going on with the church for several reasons, some of them self-inflicted. Um, uh, back in the 80s, the, there was a huge scandal among evangelical churches that centered around people like Jim Baker and um, the um, um, Jimmy Swaggart and tele-evangelists. That was a wave. And then another wave that happened shortly thereafter was within the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, the priests uh, that had been molesting boys uh, in particular, but children in general. And and then more recently, there have been, even like in some Southern Baptist circles and other denominations, uh, there's a feminist backlash to what would be some abusive and wicked sinful behavior on the part of men in positions of authority toward women who are mm-hmm. seen as vulnerable and in some many cases less than. Um, that That's kind of fomenting around right now. Um, the church has had scandals since its inception. There's no doubt about it. But I would say, you know, because our our, our country has entered a a post-Christian, even almost to an anti-Christian atmosphere in the last generation or so, these are magnified right now. So there is an identity. It used to be the church was a respected institution. It was respected more above the media and politicians and so forth. And today, the respect for the church in general is less than it has been. Um, And not only because we are less Christian as a nation, but one of the reasons we may be less Christian as a nation is because many in positions of authority abused those positions of authority in a very wicked and and godless way way. Um, and whether, you, you know, it is, well, it's overblown. It is overblown. Your kid is more, far more likely to be molested at a public school than it is at a church. But you see, because we expect more from a church, we expect more, um, we, we expect people of faith to be different. Mm-hmm. It gets magnified. 
And and we ought not resent that. That's yeah. that, you know that's like the, the fish who says I don't like people looking at me. Well, you live in a glass bowl. What did you expect? <laughs> um, and and so we've got to face this. We've we've got to deal with this. Beyond that, there's also an identity in that there's a mushiness about. And I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing, but because denominational titles for years defined your church, most churches today have such controversy in denominations. They're splitting and dividing, and they've got issues that they're you know debating and so forth, that many churches are hiding their denominational affiliation. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I saw a church that started from scratch that had Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever on the sign. Yeah. They're all, you know, cool names like you know, Maverick Church or, you know, yeah. or whatever. Uh, so you have to kind of dig down. And but that begs the question, well, what does a church what is it supposed to stand for in a community? What 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 makes it different than, you know, the Boy Scouts or or the Rotary or Kiwanis? Is it just a social agent? See, or is there a spiritual mission and mission um, mission and message that uh, that supersedes that in which all people can easily identify? So. And I think what I'm questioning is: is there a stress of identity because the church is trying to protect its identity versus protecting the identity of who Jesus is? Well, I think that's an absolutely accurate thing, and that was why many of the abuses started. What we used to say uh, in church leadership, or what I used to hear say in church leadership, we got to protect the reputation of Christ. What they meant was I got to protect my reputation Mm -hmm. or the reputation of the church, and often at the bottom of it is because I don't want to lose my power base, or I don't want to lose my income, or I don't want to lose the the attendance. Um, And so, you know, we modified it by trying to act spiritually. Uh, but the, the real line, it was we were more interested about what people thought of us than what they thought of Christ. Otherwise, we wouldn't have done some of this nonsense in the first place. Yeah, and unfortunately, there were people under them that held them up to this higher standard that they didn't want to get them in trouble either. And so now you yeah. had multiple layers of people protecting someone and protecting that person's name again versus protecting the name of Jesus. Yeah, and there's also this this issue, and it happens in politics, it happens in 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 uh, the arts, it happens in religion, is that we have this tendency to put people on pedestals and turn them into icons. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Michael Jackson were a factory worker, he'd have been in jail years before, and today we still think of him in revered, revered terms when when he obviously had some huge sexual deviancy issues that, you know, and people would be mad at me for even bringing those up, but it's the reality. You know, grown 50-year-old men who's spending the night with little boys, that's not normal. And I don't care whether you're an artist or special or whatever, that's not normal. But we excused it because we put him on a pedestal. Well, that's not normal for, uh, you know, a musician, and it's not normal for a pastor, and it's not normal for a politician. It's just not normal. It's not right. And and so, but because we put him on on pedestals, there are people willing to forgive those kind of things or overlook them because we so much appreciate the good things that they do. And that's just a dangerous pattern of behavior, and and it muddies the identity, mm. which ought to be purer than that. Mm. Yeah, so the, the church has a, a stress of identity. The church also has a stress of volunteers, and this one's near and dear to me as well. So <laughs> Yeah, this is this is true. Anybody who's in church leadership at any level understands this. People are simply less willing to volunteer their time than they've ever been in recent history. Um, and COVID brought a lot of this to light. It may have been happening before that, but it has certainly exacerbated it, where people had a convenient excuse called COVID not to get out, get involved, spend time outside of working hours or non-compensated duties. And and then they've been slow to come back and they've become comfortable not doing anything, being consumers rather than participants. Um, so it's causing stress. It's, it's causing stress because sometimes you're forced to hire people you otherwise would have used as volunteers. It's causing stress, making the current good-hearted volunteers that you have get stretched thinner and thinner mm-hmm, until mm-hmm. they're in danger of burning out. 
It causes stress on staff who are needing to be able to make sure that the ministry is proceeding and, and responsibilities are covered, but they have less of a pool from which to pull. And it, it's, it, you know, I, I was talking to a, a, a volunteer who dreads, no, I'm sorry, a volunteer, a staff member who has volunteers who dread Saturdays because their phone dings all day long Saturday of volunteers bailing. And they've got to still make sure that 12 hours from now, there are going to be hundreds of people showing up who need a service provided, and their volunteers have decided, ah, we're at the last minute, we're going to go to the beach. And and so there is a stress, that, and, and it, it, you know, well, should we be talking about our problems? Yeah, we ought to be talking about our problems. And, and the bottom line is this, I think if church is family, that we all have a role to play in it, and we ought not do everything, but we all ought to do something. Everybody ought to do something, whether it's working the nursery, helping with production, um, greeting people, taking the offering, singing in a praise team, whatever it is, everybody ought to do something. And if everybody does something, then no one will have to do too much. Yeah, and it all doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. We, <laughs> you don't yeah. walk in and the lights are on and music's going and yeah. kids are taken care of and students are taken. It takes a massive team of volunteers and, and all of the ministries. Yeah. And as Dan was saying, if if volunteers drop out or don't show up, that means ministries are either lacking or have to be completely shut down. And we're not able to serve the congregation the way we want to. Yeah. It, it, and the reality is it takes somewhere around 30, 30%, 35% of your weekly attendance as volunteers to make to make a service run normally. So that means if you're running 100, you need about 35 volunteers. If you're running 1,000, you need about 350 volunteers. Mm. For us, on a typical Sunday, we have between 150 and 200 people that have some responsibility of, you know, whether it's playing the drums or whether it's working in the nursery or whether it's getting coffee ready or whether. So every, you, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And you don't have to be a huge church to need plenty of volunteers. I, you see, I'm not of the mindset. I've never been of the mindset from when I was a kid that that you just went to church and consumed, that you went to the church for what's in it for me, and you sat there as a critic saying, well, that sermon was too long, or he needed more illustrations. But rather it is, how can I make this service better? How can I glorify the Lord through my talents and gifts? Um, but today's culture has moved away from that, and I would just say it's not been healthy for us spiritually to yeah. do so. Yeah, um, and, and I will say, too, the larger the church, the more of a pool there is to, to pull from, and more people can serve less. Mm-hmm. That's what that's the, where the frustration comes is you do have this very small percentage of people that you have to use over and over and over. Mm-hmm. If everybody would commit to one Sunday a month, you're still yeah. volunteering and serving and you have three Sundays to do whatever you want with. So right. that stress of volunteers also bleeds over into pastors and into staff. And I wish I had the stats in front of me, but I know I've read numerous articles and stories about how coming through COVID that the um, endless amount of pastors who stepped away from the ministry completely because of depression or because of uh, other things like that. And I know lack of volunteers, lack of staff, lack of all that added to that stress. So let's talk about the stress that is on pastors and staff. This is big and it's getting bigger, Britt. And I've been reading some research on it's most concerning. Of course, most of you know, I also teach for a graduate school of theology. And, um, and while we are the largest in the world, quite frankly, um, I'm watching many seminaries and many Bible schools closing. Hmm. One of the reasons they're closing is people are not going into the ministry the way they did. So it used to be the average senior pastor was somewhere in his early 50s in terms of age. Today, that age is 65. The average pastor in America is 65 wow. years of age. So if you like, if you live in the Charlotte area, you may think, of, oh, well, all these young pastors who are starting churches. But you understand for every big church that you know about, there's 20 little churches that are meeting somewhere in the countryside. And one of those little churches you blitz by and you don't even notice. And those pastors are old dudes. Hmm. And we have a crisis coming. Because there's not 
the new wave. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, and I may touch on some of them eventually here in this, but but it, it's a reality. So he, he, there's another problem that's coming up. People are attending church less frequently. So go back 40 years ago, the average person was attending church about two times per week because there was four to six times per week you had an opportunity mm-hmm. to go to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, a training union of some sort, Wednesday night, Thursday night visitation, Friday night youth group. There were all women's missionary society. There were all these different times and people were going to at least two per week. The average person today who considers himself a church goer attends a church service 1.7 times per month. Mm. But here's the deal. While there is fewer people who are claiming to be connected to a church, there are still millions and millions of people coming to church. If they were to all show up on a Sunday, it'd be like Easter every week. But they're not showing up. So attendance has dropped. Hmm. But the number of these same people still want you to marry them and bury them. These same people still need counsel and want counsel. Same people who need access to the pastor's time. And the There's more of them, but there's fewer of them on Sunday. And so what it appears is that your church is actually smaller than it is because I may only go to church 1.7 times per month, but I still want my pastor available. I still want somebody there when I go into the hospital. I still want somebody to pray over my, you know, my business. I still, I still want these things taking place, and it is stretching pastors thinner. And there's generally staffing has been based on the number of people who are attending on a Sunday morning. And so there's less staff to minister to more people who have expectations that the staff be available. This causes stress on pastors and staff in church. So this isn't complaining, but it is reality. And we have to understand that it exacts a cost on the pastor and the availability. The other thing is just the role of working for a church no longer has the same mystique and aura that it once did. It used to be pastors were considered to be shepherds of the community. And again, because our culture, and we did an episode on this recently, loves to be at the extremes throwing bombs to make us outraged, we highlight the crooks. We highlight the perverts. Mm-hmm. We highlight, though they're, they're the exceptions, they're not the rules, but it, it, it denigrates the whole profession. So I got to ask you, what 17-year-old boy in his right mind is want to go become a Catholic priest? Or is going to want to become a Baptist pastor, considering the reputation that many of them have? Today? Yeah. I don't know why people want to be in politicians, be politicians, other than they can get rich doing mm. that and they can become powerful. But you're not going to become rich or powerful <laughs> either one by going in the ministry. But we have about the same kind of reputation. Yeah. You better understand that when you go in the ministry, um, and this is, by the way, this is the way it is in the rest of the world. America, they are just catching up to the rest of the world. Uh, to be a pastor is not to be prestigious. It's to be a servant. Um, and we, we've got to realize that. But servanthood has stresses that we have to realize. And, and the other thing is being a pastor today in our culture is you've got to be an expert on the law, on risk management, on human relations, on, on um, uh, hiring practices. Oh, and by the way, you're a pastor. Maybe you ought to know a little bit about theology. But you better know about communication, social media, and you know all these. So you've you've yeah, got to be an yeah. expert on a lot of issues, particularly in a larger church that causes stress. So I, I say all that to this again, not looking for sympathy because I'm almost at the end of my road. So you know <laughs> I'm I'm going to survive this experience. <laughs> but I want to say this: we need to be praying that the Lord would call young people with passion and vision and a heart for God and a concern for the souls of men and women to become 
part of church ministry teams. It's a wonderful way to invest your life without a doubt, but it's easy to forget in a culture that has shifted the way that it has in our culture in the last 30 years. And there won't be anyone to lead the next generation There's not if, gonna be, if we don't have yeah, those pastors. I mean, there, there's literally, the wisdom will not be passed down like it should be. Yeah, there's much talk going on right now about the fact that circuit writing type pastors where the pastor has three churches and they go at different times, uh, even different Sundays or different days of the week to different churches, which was very common in the 18th hundreds called the circuit writing preachers. Mm. Um, but um, those days may become again. The other thing is bivocational pastors are becoming more and more because churches can't support a pastor um, and also because there's just not enough pastors to do it. So a lay person has to step in and they're, you know, they're working at a factory, but they're also preaching on Sundays. But that will diminish the availability of that pastor if yeah. he's bivocational yeah. as well. Yeah. And again, that goes back to the attendance thing. People aren't showing up to church, which means they're probably not giving like they should be either to help support the church and the pastor. That's right. Yeah, there has been uh, a per capita drop in in giving that that is it's it's not dramatic. It's not like falling off of a cliff, but it's very definitely there. Yep. So let's look at um these are have been some kind of internal things. Let's look at an external stressor on the church. And I know we're we're getting short on time here, but I do want to talk a little bit more. You mentioned it a second ago, the culture. The culture is putting so much pressure on the church to change their views, to change their attitude, to be more inclusive. Yeah. How's that stress affecting the church? Yeah, and, and it affects the truth church to the extent that it causes controversy. For some churches, they're willingly compromising, but for other churches that are resisting it, they are there. There could come a time where things like tax exempt status um, and other things are going to be taken from churches because we do not align with the dominant culture. Um, and every time a mainstream denomination or an individual congregation decides to compromise on that, it weakens the position of the churches who are staying true to the biblical uh, positions that they've had on things like sexuality and marriage and definitions and things like that. So a lot of these cultural areas are now spilling into the church, the role of women, uh, sexual identity, gender identity, um, and sexual expression, definition of family. These are, these are both political and social, and as we are experiencing what is only going to accurately be called a social revolution going on in our country right now, um, those areas do spill into the institutions. They've already spilled into government. They've already spilled into entertainment. They've spilled into uh, the law. Mm -hmm. We've got court decisions. And, you know, one of the last pillars of a civilization is religion. Uh, the thing about it is it is unreasonable to think that the church should be eager to change what is in, without a doubt, 2,000 years of reputation in history on their position on such things. And, and now, now they're expecting, oh, simply because the political winds have shifted, that the church should shift too. But the church is never intended to reflect culture. Yeah. It's supposed to impact culture. And it's supposed to impact culture from a truth position. And we find truth in the Word of God. And so if we compromise on that, then we've lost our reason for existence. So there's a ton of churches that are compromising, though. Mm -hmm. So doesn't that put even more stress on the churches that refuse to? Oh, because well, now you can out. point down the street and say, this pastor at this church, is he and his husband are preaching here, so mm -hmm. you should change too. Yeah. I mean, and you see it all over in the Northeast. Uh, you know, I traveled to the Northeast a few years ago, and there were tons of LGBTQT flags, Black Lives Matter flags, all these different social mm -hmm. issues that were, were outside of the church. But you didn't see a Christian flag because the Christian flag is offensive to mm -hmm. those who are not Christian. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's But they're bizarre. claiming to be But they're claiming to be yeah. churches. And we've got them in this community in Davidson. We've got a church that has all the different flags up front, uh, and, but they do not have a Christian flag. 
And they mm. do have an American flag, which I don't think you should have American flag mm. up front either. But yeah. but now I get letters about that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm happy to explain why. Uh, but um, but but the reality is, uh, you can be proud to be an American, but Jesus is number one. That's it. That's End right. of story. That's yeah. yeah that's <laughs> yeah. And when you walk, and particularly if you live in a multicultural com- yes. community, you don't need to be wearing the colors of anybody but Christ. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's the issue. I wanted to clear I wanted to Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, cuz we don't want to be offensive about it, <laughs> but we do not. but I, I do feel very strongly yes. about Jesus that. Jesus first country. Yeah, we're pr- we're proud. I'm proud. So yeah. I'll speak for me, not for you. I'm proud to be an American, but American isn't the only thing. Yeah. There are other countries. There are th- this is a big world. And that, that's and, it. And, and Jesus I think, is Lord you know, of all. going back to our last episode of missions, I think I've realized that more than I ever have. Yeah. Um, but but so in in that these these consequences of our drift uh, bring me to the last one, which was you know there's a general spiritual warfare that we have to be aware of, mm-hmm. and and I've I've seen it around the world. I've seen some things around the world that honestly I won't even talk about publicly because I don't want you to think I've lost my mind or gone crazy. Um, but those things are coming to America. If mm. I can use the name of a movie. Um, the, the deeper we get in pornography, the deeper we get into legalized drug use, the deeper we get into accepting dark religions. Like, you know, there was a Satan Con conference mm-hmm. in Boston recently that had thousands of Satan worshipers at it. We are inviting spiritual warfare at a level that we have no comprehension of. Um, and having seen what that that uh, uh, evokes in in um, places like France and in places like um, Africa, uh, in Cuba, in Vietnam, in Burma, in Thailand. We need to understand we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. There are dark powers that exist in the universe that we cannot see but are very real. And that I think it has a lot to do with the rise of mental illness in this country and a lot of the other things as these um, as we give room for and space to uh, the agents of Satan to take root through our conduct, through our behavior, through our recreation, through our entertainment, through our addictions. Um, and we're going to see more and more of that. And the way we need to engage with that spiritual warfare is to hit our knees and pray. Hit our knees and pray and live, read, breathe, memorize the Word of God. Yes. So on this list, there are some things that you can immediately do to help relieve some stresses in the American church. There are some other things that you might not have control over. But again, as we just said, it's not about flesh and blood. There is a spiritual war going on, and the church is under attack, and the church will continue to feel that stress. We as believers need to pray. We need to pray for our pastors, for the staffs of churches, for people volunteering, for our communities. We need to pray for one another, and we need to pray that God's will will be done in this country above all else. That does it for this episode of Life Talks. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. As a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.